Well, Lynn will be here in a couple weeks. It's almost here, not even a couple weeks. I think it's a week away. I think Ash Wednesday is next Wednesday? Or the Wednesday after? It's a couple weeks. It's coming soon. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but Lent's almost here. <laughs> it's coming. Fat Tuesday, Lent, whatever. It's on its way. Um, I had a former church member of mine that gave up bread for Lent. Now, when he leaped into this desire to give up bread for Lent, he, did, he miscalculated. He didn't realize that meant biscuits too. And he was bemoaning the fact that he'd given up bread for Lent because it meant biscuits too. Anybody get an amen on that one? Amen. Yeah. It's like, think about it. If you give up bread for Lent, what does that preclude from your diet? Crackers? Biscuits? Toast? I don't know how far you want to take that commitment, right? What, what is bread? Ba- sandwiches? <laughs> Hamburgers? Because like, you know, or at least with, with the bun. <laughs> That's a, anybody signing up for bread for Lent? And I just made you hungry before I even started my sermon. Now you're ready for lunch. Huh? That's a challenge. Yeah, anybody want to sign up for giving up bread? Bread's a staple. Bread is in a lot of stuff when you start doing the math, right? Bread's in some of those pastries you t- sampled on the way in here. You gave, you're giving those up for Lent, too. I mean, he was like, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it without my biscuits kind of thing. But bread... Bread is a staple, and that is our metaphor for this week. We've been going through the I am statements of Jesus, and he makes proclamations about himself. Typically, they're metaphors, ways that we can understand him differently. And last week was one of the exceptions because he said, I am the resurrection. I don't have a metaphor for resurrection. It's just resurrection. But this week, he says, I am the bread of life. So did he give up bread? Did he give up Jesus for Lent? No. I am the bread of life, right? So he's using the metaphor of bread. Now, everything I just said, bread's a staple. Pastries, bagels, hamburger buns, pizza. Dude, that dude gave up a lot of stuff by giving up bread, right? I mean, it is everywhere, a part of our life. It's a staple of our diet. Even back in the old days in prison, they gave you bread and water. That was it. Like, bread is part of it. And one of the things that separates one of this, me, this metaphor from some of the others is Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And when we talked about light, we talked about the fact that meant that Jesus, that highlighted his divine nature, if you will, right? So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, we're now a little more focused on his humanity, his reachability, his availability. We can see him, we can touch him, at least the disciples could, the original disciples could. But, it's, but bread is part of everything. It's tangible. It takes work to produce bread. It takes a recipe to know how to make bread. Where's Zach at, right? I mean, there, it takes hard work, cultivation, growing the wheat, whatever goes into bread. I'm not a bread scientist, so I'm not going to try to venture all the categories. But you get the idea, right? It's not just like, oh, the light's out there when you walk outside. There's the sun. It just shows up, but it's out there somewhere. Bread is something we have to go after and pursue, and it's in everything, and it's a staple. It sustains us. Last weekend when I was here, I was on a liquid diet. I was like, I can't eat the stuff on the counter. Like, it's, it's, I didn't have much sustenance. You know what I mean? It's like, it holds us together. You're like, I haven't eaten anything all morning, but there's pastries at Connection. It'll sustain you until after church. You know, It keeps us alive. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Not just bread for bread's sake, but it actually nourishes our body. 
bread becomes part of us. When you take it in, it becomes a part of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it becomes a part of who we are when we consume bread. It has carbs. Any nutrition freaks in here? It has carbs in it. We were, we were talking about this this morning with communion. It's like, how many carbs do you think there are in the communion bread? And can you burn them off just by kneeling and praying and getting back up, going back to your seat? <laughs> like, like, how many carbs are in the... Car carbohydrates are a source of energy for us, scientifically speaking. Our body burns carbs for fuel, and bread is a heavy source of carbohydrates. You can look at any diet plans, like keto, I can't have this anymore, you know? It's like a permanent lint, you know, I'm giving up bread forever. I mean, that's how it feels. That stuff gives us energy, it holds us together, it brings our blood sugar back into check, gets, or spikes it, if you will. But it, it takes care of us. So that's the metaphor, that's the picture, that's the word picture that Jesus has given us. He says, I am the bread of life. So I, I mentioned one thing that it reveals to us about Jesus, but what does that metaphor, what does that picture tell us about Jesus? Just like bread is of the earth and bread is everywhere, this is a stretch, just hang with me, right? It reflects his human nature. The fact that Jesus became one of us made him available to us, available to anybody who pursues him. Anybody who puts in the effort to say, I want to follow Jesus, can find Jesus. Now, walking around with the disciples, they literally, he was literally one of them. But Jesus came and became one of us to reveal himself to us so we could see him. Because how many times in your prayer life, it's like, I know God's out there somewhere, but I, you know. Is he real? I don't know. He doesn't feel very real in this moment. Where was he when this happened to me? Like, he's just out there. He's divine. He's all-powerful. He's the son. 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 You know what I mean? Jesus was one of us. Faced temptation like we did. Stubbed his toe like we did. I mean, got tired. Got woke up by his dad to go to the carpentry shop way too early. Like experienced life the way we do. Felt it, experienced it, got hungry, got thirsty. This is the one in the well, pull me some water up, I'm thirsty. Like he experienced life the way we do. And we always think about him being like, oh, it's Jesus. I'm the bread of life. I'm real. I'm tangible. Pursue me. I will be available to anyone who chases after me. Our relationship with Jesus provides spiritual nourishment. Go a long time without talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, reading about Jesus, reading the words in the Bible. That is like going on a fast for bread. Relationship with God, relationship with Jesus, sustains your soul too. So it's not just, oh, I had some bread this morning. But did you have the bread of life this morning? Did you partake in him offering his body for you? You're going to later. I mean, you can see where this metaphor is going on communion Sunday, right? That he gave himself up, that he was broken for us, that he became one of us, endured, and provides for us this place of spiritual growth. He sustains us. In fact, in John 6.35, he claims that if you eat of the bread of life, you will never be hungry again. There's a diet plan. 
I'm done eating forever. <laughs> it does, obviously, it's not literal, right? He's talking about spiritual. If you partake in my body, if you partake in the bread of life, you will never go spiritually hungry ever again. Now, interestingly enough, that verse, John 6.35, the context is in and around the feeding of the 5,000. So we're going to read that for a second, because if the metaphor is bread, and Jesus calls himself the bread of life, and what, he, what it tells us is that he makes himself available to us, that he provides us with energy, that he sustains us, that he is available to us, if that's what that metaphor tells us, then what is our response? And we're going to draw our response from the text this morning. How did Micah 6 get there? Okay, here we go. John 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the, mount, went up the mountain and sat down where the, with, there with the disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over. So that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten them until they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they began to say, This indeed, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him and force him to be made king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so we got the feeding of the 5,000. You got Jesus. He's preaching. He's got a good crowd. He's got a lot of followers, a lot of likes, a lot of shares. <laughs> He's got a crowd, 5,000 people in all. And he says, hey, we, they came for church. We need to give them lunch after, essentially. And have them sit down. And where are we going to get some food? Oh, the Walmart down the street. And have it. He's like, what are we going to do about food? By the way, it would cost a fortune to feed all these people. What do we do, Jesus? So Jesus puts a challenge in front of his disciples, and they have a response to Jesus. And that response is a little bit of desperation out of scarcity, right? A little bit of, uh, there is no Walmart. It's closed today. It's Sunday or something. Wait, what, are you, what are we supposed to do? They're a little freaked out. Andrew chimes in, this dude's got brought his sack lunch. What's that going to do for everybody that's here? They don't, all they can see is, this is all I've got. What do we do with this? This is not nearly enough. I'm worried about provision. I'm worried about what, you'll, what we can do to meet this need that you've thrown in front of us. Now, the passage actually says that Jesus said this to test them because he already knew what he's going to do. There's a couple of times in the Gospels where Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to go. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Lazarus died, but we'll get there when we get there because I already know I'm going to raise him from the dead. Jesus is like, feed them. 
Disciples were like, ah! But Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Their response to, I am the bread of life, is scarcity. And we haven't got to that part in the verse yet, but you'll get what I'm saying in a second. It's scarcity. We can't possibly do enough. We can't possibly provide enough. We can't meet your challenge, Jesus. What do we do? That's one response. That he's testing them. Andrew at least goes, well, this is what I got. What you going to do with it? You know, fix it. And what does Jesus do, though? He becomes the bread of life for the crowd, does he not? And fish. <laughs> he keeps breaking the bread and keeps breaking the bread and keeps breaking the bread until they were satisfied and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, that's probably a whole other sermon to talk about the fact it was 12 baskets. But there's a little bit of a metaphor in there if you don't see it. There were how many disciples? 12, right? So, that was seven fingers, but you get the idea. 12 disciples... 12 baskets. The whole miracle was a test for his followers about trusting Jesus to be the sustainer and the bread of life. Not to respond to Jesus out of scarcity or desperation or lack of trust. I don't know how we're going to feed these people. Translate that for us. I know I'm supposed to follow you, Jesus. I know this is what my life is supposed to be look like, but... How is that possibly going to be good enough? How am I supposed to rise to the challenge you put in front of me to follow you? Take up your cross daily and follow you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. I don't have the resources for that, Jesus. Might be our response. It starts to sound like the disciples, does it not? I don't have enough. I can't do enough. I'm not good enough. How many times have you had that conversation with Jesus? I don't, I messed up again, Jesus. I'm not, obviously I'm not a good Christian. Am I even a Christian? Maybe you've had those doubts. But that's a response, that's a response from anxiety and scarcity, spiritually speaking. I'm not good enough, anxiety. I can't do enough, scarcity. When all, need, all Jesus needs is your five loaves and two fish. All he needs from you is to go, this is what I have. And he says to that, I am the bread of life. Let me take care of it. I already know what I'm going to do. And that's going to pour out until there's leftover. You let me worry about the provision part. You let me be the spiritual sustainer. You let me be the one who feeds everybody. You just surrender your five loaves and two fish. I'm not asking you to be everything to everybody. I'm not asking you to do enough to earn your way to me because you can't. I'm asking you to surrender. I'm the bread of life, not you. <laughs> that's what he could be saying, right? I'm the one that's going to do this, not you. Or I will do this through you. See, part of the test, part of the way that Jesus actually fed the 5,000 was by the obedience of the disciples. Not only did they come to him and go, hey, here's my bread and my, my fish. He said, all right, start passing it out. Now they could have said, okay, first row, y'all are good. See you next week. <laughs> I mean, like, like, what do you do with this? You know, can you imagine? Here's some for you. Here's some for you. How is there still some in the box? Here's some for you. Like how that, would have, that experience would have been, right? But because they actually got down and said, all right, we got some bread and some fish over here. Who's next? And start, 
5,000 people. How long did that take, by the way? Rip off some bread. Here you go. <laughs> Rip off some bread. Here you go. Communion for a week. You know, come take a piece of bread and go sit down. And that's one piece. But the disciples obeyed Jesus and took the fish and the bread. And because they were obedient to the bread of life, that's how the crowd received the bread. So not only did they surrender their resources, they surrendered themselves and were obedient. And because they were obedient, the whole crowd was satisfied until overflowing. So the response to Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life, is not to wonder how in the world you're going to do it, or doubt that you can, or have anxiety over accomplishment, or over your ability, or over limits, or wondering where in the world is this going to come from. Your response is, okay, and start passing out what you've got. To start following through what he's asked you to do. What does he ask you to do? To go and to share. Instead of scarcity and worry, our response ought to be trust and obedience. I trust that the bread's going to keep coming, so I will be obedient and keep passing it out. I'm stretching this metaphor pretty far, but you get the idea, right? If Jesus is the bread of life, then what are you passing out? Jesus. You think there's a limit to that supply? How much can you pass out Jesus and suddenly go, there's no more Jesus to pass out? How much can you share Jesus before you run out? You can't. Twelve baskets? Psh, right? You can keep sharing him and keep sharing him and keep being him in front of people who don't know him until they are satisfied and overflowing with the love of God. And you do that because you trust that he will sustain you you trust that He will equip you, and you trust that He will provide and empower you to do it. Your job, your response is just trusting in that and obeying it. To be Him in front of others. It doesn't mean you have to keep some big long laundry list of Scripture verses and to-do list. It means trust Him, do what He's asked you to do. And if you really trust Him, the obeying part becomes a little easier. What we, where we tend to not trust, where we tend to disobey God, is what we're really saying is, I don't trust what you just told me to do. When I fail, when I sin, when I disobey God, it's because ultimately I don't trust the source. Give to the church, but power bill. You know what I mean? That's a scarcity thing. Like, okay, I trust you to provide power bill too. I'm exaggerating, but you get the idea, right? When it comes to anything that Jesus calls us to do, share your faith with somebody, but I won't know how to answer their questions. I won't get the words right. That's not the point. You can take anything that he calls us to do. Go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you to teach, that I've taught you. What's the rest of that? And I will be with you until the end of the age. He doesn't go, here's a Bible. Go evangelize Starkville. Good luck with that. Right? He says, I'm going with you. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who will sustain you. I am the one who will supply you. I am the one who will make your, your little loaves spread everywhere. Just go trust and obey me to do that. Now, if it was only that easy, right? 
Look at verses 25 and 27. We're skipping down a little bit because Jesus walks on water in between, and that's for another Sunday. But after he feeds the 5,000, he sends the disciples across the lake. He hangs out, walks on the water, gets to the other side of the lake. But the people are like, this dude just fed us with five loaves and two fish. We need to make him king in, in verse 15. And so he's like, we get time to check out and move on down the road. They're going to do something I'm not ready to do yet or even intend to do yet. So we need to move on. But they pursue him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, where, when did you come here? Because he walked across on the water. I skipped that part. Jesus answered them, very, very, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you, are, you, had, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on Him that the God, God the Father has set His seal. Let me part that, part, pause there for a second. We'll come back to this. So Jesus walks around, walks over, gets to the other side. They're like, hey, where's the next meal coming from? They pursue Him. They're chasing Him down. And they're like, how did you get here? Because they're like, we thought we beat you, you know? And He says, you're chasing me. You're pursuing me because I fed you. You're pursuing me not for what I've done or who I am, but for what I can give you. You're only following me because it's beneficial to you. That you want me to be your king. You want me to feed you. You want me to take care of you, and that's why you're in. Unfollow me. He calls them out on it too. They're seeking things of this world. They've got a scarcity mindset issue. It's like, how can I get more? You know? If you go to campus at Mississippi State with a big crate full of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, how long would they last? Here, take a sandwich. How long would they last? Stand out in front of the union. Free Chick-fil-A. <laughs> They're gone. You know? What would the next person in line want? More. <laughs> or the people who got it. When's the next one coming? When are you coming back? When are you coming back with some free Chick-fil-A, Charlie, tomorrow? You know, same idea. Same idea. We want, not you, we don't want a relationship with you. Where's your Chick-fil-A? Right? Not because you're a cool dude. We just want the free sandwich. That's what these people are pursuing Jesus and trying to make him king. and Because he can provide, he can bring people back from the dead. If he's the king, we would never have to want anything again. They're worried about things from this earth that sustain them. They're worried about physical bread. They're worried about eating. They're worried about partaking in things that are of this earth. And what does Jesus say to that? Don't work for things of this world that fail and perish and end. And ultimately don't satisfy you. But work for things that matter eternally. It's another way of him putting. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where thief and rust and moth can destroy. But instead store up for yourself things in heaven. He's just reteaching that in a new package. Don't work for the bread. Don't work for the Chick-fil-A. Work for the kingdom of God. In fact, you could tie this teaching to that whole section. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, other things that you're looking for, that you're anxious about having, provision you're looking for, will be added to. If you're focused on obeying, trusting and obeying Jesus, everything else takes care of itself. Does that mean your life will be perfect and you'll have an endless supply of Chick-fil-A? Of course not. 
Does that mean if you follow Jesus, you're in this holy little bubble, everything will be perfect, your 401k will grow by 20%, and life will be grand? If it was true, I wouldn't be able to get enough, keep enough people out of here for fire code reasons. That's not how it works. If all you had to do is pray the sinner's prayer and boop, you're a millionaire. No cancer ever, no disease ever. Just boop, you're wealthy and awesome. And never, Dude, this place would be packed because it'd be free Chick-fil-A. The things of this earth are the things I just named. Your bank balance, your career, the size of your house, how new your car is. Don't work for the things of this world that will perish. Work for the things of the next. That's what really sustains you, the bread of life, not bread from life. Chick-fil-A is good. You'll be hungry again in six hours. The biscuits out there are good. The pastries out there are good. You'll be hungry again in 30 minutes. Those are just pure sugar. You know what I mean? They won't sustain you. The bread of life does. Now what's interesting is in verse 28, this picks up. And continue, they continue their dialogue. He says, he says uh, then Jesus cried out. Wait, this is the right chapter? No, that's chapter 7. No wonder I'm confused. Verse 28. <laughs> sorry. Do not, verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that the God, of, God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we... Must, blah, hmm. What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him. In Him He has sent. So they said to Him, What sign are you going to give us so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Pause. He just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. They're still in a scarcity mindset. What's their question? What must we do to earn? They're still anxious. How do we do the work of the kingdom? How do we earn our way into the kingdom of heaven? And what is Jesus' response? Believe in the one who sent me. Believe. There's no laundry list. There's no to-do list. There's no expectation. It's simply believe. Have faith. Trust in the bread of life. That's what will sustain you. But they're like, so well, what sign are you going to do? Then they keep going. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. That's the right focus, right? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So they're having this conversation, and they rightly call back Moses in the desert. People of God in the desert trying to get to the promised land. By the way, there's no food in the desert. No water in the desert. So scarcity... They're freaked out. What does God do? He provides literally bread, bread from heaven that sustains them while they're in the desert. And they're going, but what about that? And Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who's been sent. And if you partake from me, you'll never be hungry again. 
they're still on adventures and missing the point. They still want the, they want the free Chick-fil-A. Where's the manna? It is manna from heaven, by the way. Where's the manna? Jesus goes, you're looking at it. Moses didn't give you that. God did. And God sent me and made me the bread of life. I'm the one that will sustain you. And you will never hunger again. He's not being literal hunger like, oh, next week you don't have to eat. It is you will have exactly what you need forever. The bread of life. Our response is to have this attitude of abundance that comes from knowing Jesus offers us bread from heaven. That what Jesus offers us sustains us when life is sideways, when life is challenging, when we're broke, when we're sick. That stuff, you don't get protected from that stuff, but you don't go through that stuff alone. You don't go through that stuff without, without the bread of life sustaining you through it, the spiritual carbs to endure. I'm having a little fun with the metaphor, can you tell? The spiritual source of energy is Jesus. Life can be downright frustrating, anxiety-producing, desperation-provoking, and terrible. Can't sugarcoat that. I wish it weren't true. But when life gets like that, if, we're, if we are going to and pursuing and eating from the bread of life that's been broken for us, then we're spiritually sustained through all of that. In fact, if you notice, in verse 11, he actually, when he's doing the feeding of the 5,000, he actually says, he took the bread and he broke it and started to pass it out. That ought to set off all kinds of like familiar bells because that's literally what he does on the night of the Last Supper. He took some bread, he prayed, and he broke it. It's almost the exact same sentence. That's not an accident. What's the writer want us to see as Jesus feeds 5,000 people literal food? Is it's another picture, it's a callback or a point ahead, I guess in this case, to Jesus doing the same thing with his disciples when he served them the bread and the cup at the last meal. He took some bread, he prayed, and he broke it. Did the disciples eat bread again after that night? Of course they did. Do they have spiritual nourishment because of what Jesus did for us? Absolutely. If Jesus calls himself the bread of life, then we are meant to partake on that for eternal life. We're to rest on the things of that world, on the things of Jesus, not on the things that the signs and wonders. And before you make fun of all the disciples, by the way, or the people following Jesus that want the free Chick-fil-A, y'all laugh because you know you've eaten the free Chick-fil-A. We still do the same thing when it comes to church. Well, that preacher's kind of boring. The air conditioning's not that great. The coffee was kind of terrible. <laughs> we still want what we want from church. We still have, show us why we should come to church here. Oops. We're still doing the same thing. What does the church offer me? What does my relationship with so-and-so offer me? What does this job offer me? What does this relationship offer me? Where's our focus? Me. Me. Little Jim Carrey there. You know, I mean, like, where does... <laughs> where's our focus? It's on us. 
Where did Jesus teach us in this passage our focus should be? Not us, but the bread of life. Because it's the bread of life that leads to never being spiritually hungry again. When we work for those things, we're going to have to eat again. When we work to be with Jesus, we will never hunger or thirst. Let's pray. And then obviously we are going to take the bread of life together. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. Thank you for being for us the bread of life. Help us to support, to pursue that. Help us to trust you. Help us to respond in obedience to you and allow you to provide for us. Remind our hearts that it's not about what we do, but about what you have come to do for us and through us. In your precious name, amen. If you have...